What transitioned away from your, your career as a diplomat now to your time at Cedarville? And I'm going to start at the very beginning. Okay. You came to Cedarville as a freshman the year before Dr. Murray Murdoch came to teach in the faculty. Uh, can you describe the relationship you had and you have with Dr. Murdoch first as a student and then as a colleague? Oh, I would be delighted. As I uh, alluded to earlier, um, Dr. Murdoch was the hotshot young professor, PhD from Northwestern. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful to just, you know, sit at the feet of this scholar, this amazing lecturer, this guy who, as far as we were concerned, knew everything that had happened in, in the North American continent since day one. Mm -hmm. He was uh, truly an inspiration. Uh, he was clearly a mentor, encouraging me along the way as I learned about Asian studies and decided to uh, move in that direction. One of the <laughs> interesting personal sidelights is um, once on faculty, and I'm sure I share this with other students of Dr. Murdoch's who have then joined the faculty, it was really tough going from Dr. Murdoch to Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was. But he has been a, a wonderful colleague. He is, he's an inspiration. He is, of course, the historian of Cedarville University, a pillar of our uh, community. And it's amazing to see him all these years later uh, still having that kind of inspirational impact on students today. In your opinion, is there anyone in your time at Cedarville, again, as a student or as a colleague, who's had a greater impact on your life than Murray? No, quite clearly. And he's still going strong. That's right. Well, maybe I should caution that. My wife, Barb, might <laughs> compete. Well, we'll get into that story in a little bit later. <laughs> okay. But you're right. You probably should credit Barb. So uh, in 2000, again, you joined the Cedarville faculty and the university already had an international studies program, uh, as strong as it was. Um, but you are credited with really growing the international studies program. Now, as you look back on the growth of that program, um, what comes to mind to you? What, what is gratifying? What's encouraging to you as a now a retired faculty member at Cedarville? Well, it comes back to that motto of making a difference. This international studies major existed, but nobody had particular ownership of it. So there were a handful of majors. Um, I was expected to come in and to identify with the program, sort of take it under my wing, and see where it could go. And uh, it eventually reached 40 uh, majors. So in terms of make a difference, I think that's a legitimate legacy. Uh, I also had a, another role on campus, and that was to encourage our presence internationally and student knowledge of the big wide world beyond our Atlantic and Pacific borders. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to encourage study abroad programs. You know, you can study abroad for approximately the same price, maybe cost of air tickets, in another country, another university, um, perhaps in another language, for about the same cost as a semester at Cedarville. 
you know, wouldn't this be phenomenal? Wouldn't this be exciting? I really like what Dr. White is doing in terms of pushing global outreach. We really, really need that. Uh, I also talked with business department, probably naturally enough, the business majors who need to do an internship were mainly doing it with U.S. companies. Mm -hmm. I said, well, why not think about international companies in the United States or go overseas? What a twofer. You get experience, your internship in a business professional environment. But you do it in France, in Tokyo, in the UK, mm-hmm. you know, that's double the education or more. And I did the same approaching the, uh, the education department, student teachers. Nobody was doing student teaching overseas. So there are all these, at minimum, missionary schools sure. that would love to have student teachers out there. And there are international schools all around the world that would be Uh, equally receptive, why don't you think about encouraging your students to do their student teaching in the Philippines or Kenya? Why is that important? In the 21st century, if you're not comfortable Mm cross-culturally, if you can't deal with people from different backgrounds, I would go so far as to say you're not educated for the 21st century. So that's why I was... So pleased to have that secondary role beyond expanding the international studies major. Mm -hmm. And now as I look back at my graduates uh, from the international studies program, they are doing all kinds of things all over the world. They're missionaries. They're working with Christian uh, humanitarian organizations like Samaritan's Purse or World Vision. They're working with secular humanitarian organizations. They're in the military. Uh, They're working in the U.S. government. In fact, one of them, uh, 2009 graduate Jerrica Ward, is following in my footsteps as a Cedarville grad who is now a United States Foreign Service officer carrying that diplomatic passport. She's special assistant to the ambassador at our embassy in Nairobi, Kenya. That's that's a legacy all by itself right there. (laughs) So back to the development of the international studies one offshoot to your work was the development of the Model UN team. Yes. Which you st- I believe you started, and um, now Dr. Glenn Dewar has taken over. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what was behind that starting of that program. Why was it important, and what does it do? When I arrived, uh, I knew we had well-established speech teams and debate teams. But as I looked around, there was nothing internationally focused. And prior to coming here, I had not come across Model United Nations. Uh, So I looked into it, and it turned out that there was a regional conference or competition uh, right here in Dayton. So I managed with the the encouragement of student affairs under Dick Walker. He gave us a, a, a budget so that we could start participating there. And in the space of a few years... We were competing on an equal footing with all of the other uh, universities who were present. Uh, The big dog for many years had been Wright State, who always went to the National Model UN in the spring. And they said, your people are really good. They deserve to go to nationals. 
Um, when I approached the bean counters here, they took one look at the price of a dozen people for a week in New York City and fainted dead away. <laughs> but eventually, our people kept winning so many awards at the Dayton Regional that they finally said, okay, we're going to send just you, you, you go, you check it out. And based on my reading, uh, we've been going now for probably about the last 10 years. The National Model UN is held in New York City. The closing award ceremony is held in the General Assembly Hall of right. the United Nations. Right. The National Model UN goes for five full days. It involves 2,500 to 3,000 students delegates, as they're termed in Model UN, from over 250 universities, and only a little over 50% of them are American. Germany has six or eight universities represented. They're all, all five continents. Penguins haven't gotten their act together in Antarctica, <laughs> <laughs> but the others are well represented. Um, and every year, even the very first year, uh, we earned awards. And for something like Four out of the last five years, yes. Cedarville University has earned the top award in competition with all of these students from all of these universities, the award of outstanding delegation. And on the big stage in the Big Apple, we are usually the only evangelical university represented. You just went to a point that I was going to, I was going to bring up. Not only is it a great learning opportunity, probably the best learning opportunity these students are going to have going to the model UN, but it's a outreach opportunity if sure. our students so choose to pursue because of what you just said, being the only evangelical school. And I'm sure that was a part of what you and now what Dr. Dewar is um, striving for, for this program, right? When Barb and I would be along it was not uncommon at all for a student from a different university to come up to us, see who we were talking to, and say, oh, uh, you're the faculty advisors for Cedarville University? Uh, that's a Christian university, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And that statement was derived from the way our delegates were interacting with other delegates. It made a difference. Yeah, when I think of this situation, and earlier what you said about um, that we're ambassadors for Christ. It, it drives in my mind that uh, everything we sh do should have quality stamped all over it. That's, yep. a, that's a famous statement here at Cedarville. Dr. Dixon. Dr. Dixon. But also just being faithful to Christ. And for the years that you've led the Model UN, that's been the example in, in New York City and in your other competitions. It's been, it's been a tremendous uh, outreach opportunity. I also commend all of those who managed to make it onto the Model UN team because we don't advertise. This is extremely selective. What you learn in exchange for the unbelievable amount of work that you must do to prepare so that you can accurately behave in all circumstances as a delegate of the country that you're representing. So that if you are Kazakhstan or if you are Mongolia, your job during those five days is to do nothing that a Mongolian or Kazakh delegate wouldn't do. Agree to nothing that they wouldn't agree to. You have to write out position papers. What is the position of the country I'm representing uh, on this rather arcane? This isn't down in the weeds. This is down below the roots of the <laughs> weeds. Okay. Um, 
And then you have to take all of that knowledge and you have to learn to negotiate. Mm. And this is the lifelong skill that you get from the Model UN. I have nothing against debate. But when in debate, what are you taught to do? You're taught to shove somebody into a logical corner and jump on them with both feet. Mm. If you take that as a lifelong practice outside your debate team, you're going to have a very interesting life. Whereas the negotiation that you learn in Model UN is a lifelong skill. You're always going to be with people that are disagreeable. Your goal, I would hope, is to get to win-win solutions. So can you be with disagreeable people, not let them know that you think they are really disagreeable Mm. and still come up with something? As I tell the Model UN uh, team members, in diplomacy, you never slam a door, you never burn a bridge. Mm. Because you might not be able to agree on this issue, but there's going to be another one coming down the road. And isn't this a lifelong skill? Yeah. If we disagree with somebody, do we write them off? Do we let them know that we consider themselves total jerks who don't deserve to be on the planet? Or do we find a way to get along, keep communication going, and even if we have to disagree here, in two weeks, two months, two years later, we haven't burned the bridge, we haven't slammed the door, we can get back together and say, okay, on this issue, can we work together? Uh, those are great lessons that you teach through Model UN. That's that's fabulous. Um, just for your knowledge, um, Chloe Benton is a PR intern in our office, and she's last year was on the Model UN team. It was fun to follow her story. And coming up uh, later this year on the podcast, I'm interviewing Rufus Matthew, who's a Model UN student who just actually did an internship this At summer. At the UN this summer, that's yeah. right. And so... Uh, our, our podcast followers will get to hear more about the Model UN uh, coming up this we year. We actually had a, a, a related story. Uh, Megan Waters, honor student, 4 uh, three years on the Model UN team, um, married a Cedarville grad who was doing graduate work in uh, New York City. So she's in New York City, and she applies for an internship mm-hmm. at the U.S. Mission to the uh, UN, and I receive an excited email. Hey, Dr. J, guess what? I've been accepted. So when we were in New York for the National Model UN, uh, my wife Barb and I made sure we got together with Megan. Turned out that there was one internship available at the U.S. mission, and there were 2,000 applicants. Oh, my goodness. And she later got a job at the Council on Foreign Relations, which is one of the top international think tanks in the United States, that job, again, there were two openings. She got one of the two, again, over hundreds of applicants. What I told the students is that you are as good as anybody here. And it was absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get to think of, well, we're just a small university. A lot of people haven't heard of in Ohio. Right. Our best at Cedarville University, as good as anybody anywhere. That's great. I, I, I agree with you. I've been around um, the country a lot, six universities where I've worked, and I don't think the size of a university uh, matters at all. It's uh, 
It's the teaching, it's the mission, it's the people, the students themselves and their drive. Our students have a great drive for excellence that is rooted in Christ. Absolutely. I have time for two more questions. Um, Fire away. So um, rumor has it that um, before you started dating your wife, you dated her sister. Is that a true statement? That is a true statement. And that is not the only set of sisters that I dated. Frank, tell me more. This is all very biblical. Okay. I trust you. Leah and Rachel, I always started with the older sister proceeding to the younger sister. (laughs) Wow. And people would say, why, this is crazy. What are you doing? You're out of your mind. I said, no, 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 no. This is very rational. When you think about comedians making jokes about marriage, what's the number one topic? Horrible in-laws. So I figure, find good in-laws and then go down the list of sisters until you find one you can put up with. <laughs> so you've been able to put up with Barb, or really has Barb been able to put up with Actually, you? Actually, everybody involved is all on good terms. So I figured when I'm thinking about diplomacy, hey, yeah. if you can handle this, this diplomacy stuff, <laughs> piece of cake. Yeah. Yeah, you, uh, that's under firework there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, not only to do it, but to emerge from that with everybody on good terms. Yeah, and you're still on, on good terms. Mm-hmm. You guys ever talk about this? Sure. In fact, her sister uh, was with us over uh, Labor Day weekend for a family get-together. I need, I, I need <laughs> Speechless to move. Mark Weinstein. I, I need to move on. I need to move on. How serious were you with Barb's sister? Oh, it was never really that serious. It, it sounds a lot better in the storytelling. Yeah, it sounds great. But I did go to, since I had no place to go uh, at Christmas, I did go to uh, her house in uh, Buffalo, New York for one Christmas. And then the next Christmas, I was there for a different daughter. (laughs) So my last question is, I ask this to everybody, what is your greatest memory or most memorable event here at Cedarville University? Impossible to narrow it down to a single experience or a, a single event because my Cedarville experience as a student and now as a faculty have been so wide ranging. I mentioned earlier the, the lifelong friends, the moving into student government, you know, from the shy freshman who didn't want to talk to anybody. That is hard to believe that you're a shy, you are a shy freshman. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord can do wonders. Um, I mean, by the time I was a, a senior, I was uh, in part of SGA. And since coming back, the ability to, in effect, pay back Dr. Murdoch and Dr. Monroe through my students, give them the kind of mentoring, attention, encouragement, and watch them grow from uncertain freshmen into confident graduates as they walk off Uh, the stage on graduation day. And because of those relationships, being in contact with so many of these students years after they graduated. For example, usually every May, Barb and I go to Washington. We spend a week having lunch or dinner with various of our graduates, uh, catching up on their lives, their careers, all of this. And several have said, 
given me us a, fi- a similar story that they may be working with colleagues from bigger name universities, Ivies, et cetera. And they will tell them that their professor is in town and has invited them out to lunch. Mm. And their inevitable reply is my professors wouldn't even know who I was. They would certainly never invite me to lunch. Right. Well, there's Cedarville. There's the mentoring. Yeah. The, the inspiration, the making a difference. Uh, when I was interviewed by the uh, board of trustees as I was coming in, uh, applying to be a, a faculty member, one of them asked me a question that nobody had ever asked me before in my life. They said, what would you like to see on your tombstone? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that takes you back a minute. <laughs> what I said was he made a difference in the lives of his students. Yeah. And it's been proved true. And that, I think, is the, the, my, my greatest reward from teaching at Cedarville. Sure. You know, I, I remember calling you, I, I think it was a year ago in the summer, and um, I caught you driving in the, I don't know, Texas or someplace. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I mean, state number 50 on my list. We had a great conversation, and you were headed to see one of your former students. That's right. And that just speaks to, again, um, you building into the lives of your students. So I, I thank you for that. Um, I, I'd be remiss without asking this question. Um, what are you doing now? How do you spend your time now that you're, you're not teaching full-time at Cedarville? Um, I don't think you're a full-time resident of Cedarville because I think you're splitting time <laughs> in some other states. So briefly, what are you doing now? I have built up over the years an entire list of books that I always wanted to read but never had time, subjects that I had only a tangential familiarity with but have always been interested in, for example, when I just finished uh, reading several books about the Crusades. So it's a continuing education process. Part of it is the reading, the idea of learning new stuff every day. Uh, the other part of it is experiential. So checking places off the bucket list that we had always wanted to go. So when you caught me driving across Oklahoma, which is going east to west, is a very long, absolutely straight, two-lane asphalt for hours on end with nothing visible on either side. But, as you said, it was on the way to some great meetings uh, with students and with, uh, with classmates from Cedarville. So that was state number 50 on the list. We have also been to places like the Faroe Islands, the Shetland Islands. Our 12-year-old granddaughter was delighted to hear we were going to the Shetland Islands because she was imagining this wonderful souvenir that she might get sure. from the Shetland Islands. Sure. And we had to disabuse her and let her know that I'm sorry they don't fit in a suitcase, but we can send you some pictures. <laughs> so the bottom line answer to that is still looking to make a difference wherever we are. Good for you. But gleefully squandering our children's inheritance. <laughs> I'm sure they uh, support that because you deserved, you deserved to share your, your lasting years with Barb um, doing whatever the Lord calls you to do and how he wants you to do it. So I, 
I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. You were a delight to talk to. I knew you would be. This has been a pleasure, and you've dragged out some long-buried memories. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.